everybody. Welcome to today's broadcast. We are so glad you're here. I am Jenny. And I'm Tony. And we are super glad that you yes. are here with us today. Yes. Um, just to start us off here, uh, we want to invite you to go to our website. Um, and it's on our app too, yeah? I think uh, not our app, but it is on the post in the link post Ooh. in your broadcast. Today. We have a way that it's just connect with us, okay? Yes. And so we have contact cards that we have here on site. And this is kind of a digital version of that. But we want to keep you informed as to the things happening at Christ Community uh, as we're starting to have groups and events and just things that, let, that we want to tell you about um, as we are starting to reintegrate back into the swing of things. Um, so sign in there and get your information in there so that we can make sure to connect with you. Yes. Hey, also, we have a school supply drive that's going to be starting uh, up here on the 19th. And we are excited about this because it's to help support our kids over at uh, Maplewood. Mm. Uh, we do a, a lot of partnering with them. Um, so if you want to pick up some school supplies, if you're already out getting school supplies for your kids, um, pick some other ones up to donate to them so that they can be blessed. You can drop off any of those items uh, in the church office during the week, Monday through Thursday. As you're watching today, if you feel you would like some prayer about something happening in your life, uh, please text your prayer to the phone number that's on the screen right now, and uh, someone on our prayer team will be praying for you. Also, we are so grateful for your guys' generosity, and we have tried to make it as simple as possible um, for any online giving. Uh, we also have a text-to-give prayer option that you can text. Um, you can do a one-time gift, or you can also do a recurring gift if you feel led to. And again, we just thank you for partnering with us um, here at Christ Community, just so we can help people in our community and around the world. So thank you guys very much. Do us a favor, like this post, share it if you wanna. Um, comment, engage in the conversation that's taking place uh, as it airs because we love to see you guys in the, in the comment thread. Um, but we hope that everybody enjoys the service. Well, as we transition now to worship the Lord, just join me. Join me in worshiping Him and tuning our hearts to His. That He would receive our worship to Him today. Let's worship. And I've searched the world, but it couldn't fill me. And man's empty praise and treasures of faith are never enough. Then you came along and put me back together. Right here in your love And oh, there's nothing That's better than you Oh, there's nothing Better than you Lord, there's nothing Nothing is better than you Yeah. 
tune our hearts to hear from you today. Lord, may your presence be felt right now wherever we're watching, whenever we're watching. God, that we would encounter you, the living God. Come and speak to us now. Holy Spirit, fill us up. Give us understanding of your word, of your truth. May they be breakthrough today, God. May there be breakthrough today in your name. Amen. So we kicked off this series a couple weeks ago here called Joyful. And in the series, what we're doing is we're walking through this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a group of Christians in the city of Philippi. And in this letter, what Paul is doing is he's giving us direction for how to live a life that's filled with joy regardless of the circumstances that we find ourselves in. I mean, they could be really good, right? Maybe your 401k is up. Or they could be really bad. Maybe you lost your job. What Paul is saying is that regardless of what you're walking through, you can still experience joy. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but whenever I hear somebody talk about how I can have something that they have, specifically when it's a thing that I don't currently have, uh, I get a little skeptical. For for instance, lately on Facebook, I've had all these ads popping up with this self-proclaimed stock market guru telling me how I can make millions of dollars by following his plan. All I gotta do is pay 1,200 bucks for his course. Now, making millions in the stock market, that sounds like a pretty good thing. I think we'd all agree. But this guy, I don't know, he sounds more like a scam artist. You see, I think sometimes when it comes to the things that Paul says about joy in this letter, for for some of us, we approach it with the same skepticism that we do for those stock market gurus. Because our lives, with some of the things that we're walking through, it's hard to see how we could possibly find joy in it. And if that's where you're at today, I want you to know that's totally okay. I fully understand where you're at. I've been there a lot of times in my own life as well. But in our time together today, I actually want to invite you to be open to the possibility of seeing your life and your circumstances with a different perspective. And the reason that I'm asking you to do this is because Paul, he's not a scam artist. I really believe that he's somebody we could actually trust. I believe he's somebody who has credibility. You see, Paul not only talked the talk when it came to this topic of joy, he's somebody who actually walked the walk. Because of his relationship with Jesus, because of his commitment to the work of the gospel, because of his uh, willingness to challenge oppressive religious systems, he experienced a lot of pain. He experienced a lot of suffering. He dealt with hardship. He was thrown in prison multiple times. He was beaten within an inch of his life. He was slandered. He was maligned. He was hated. He was rejected. Now, none of that sounds like joyful situations, does it? But what we see so clearly is in this letter is that regardless of what he went through, none of it took his joy away. And everything he wrote, this joy was evident. And that's because his joy wasn't rooted in his circumstances. It was rooted in Jesus. So as we walk through this letter together, we're hopefully gonna be able to see some ways that we can begin to tap into and experience the same kind of joy ourselves. So let me pray for the message as we get into this. Father God, I thank you for the opportunity we have to open up your word together. I pray that you would illuminate it to us. Holy Spirit, would you guide us and would you direct us and would you empower us to begin to see the things that we're walking through with this joyful perspective that you are calling us to have. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. 
So one of the things that's pretty obvious in this letter is that Paul had a pretty unique relationship with this church in Philippi, right? All throughout this letter, Paul is telling his friends how grateful he is for them, how he thanks God for them, how much he loves them. And I think we've got to have this in the back of our mind because as we read this letter, we've, we've got to understand why Paul is saying the things that he's saying. He's not coming from a place of judgment or condemnation. He's coming from a place of love. In the past couple weeks, we've covered the first six verses of this introduction, and Paul spends a majority of that time talking about the love and the affection that he has for this church. And today, we're going to wrap up the introduction by looking at verses 7 through 11. So let's check out how this starts. Philippians 1, 7. Paul writes, It is right for me to feel this way about you all, right? So here he's referencing that love. It's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Right, so here Paul justifies this love that he feels for his friends, first by pointing out the reality that they are fellow believers. They are partakers of that same grace that Jesus offers to them. This is the grace that allows their sins to be forgiven. This is the grace that allows them to be welcomed into the family of God. Paul loves them because they, just like him, have been saved by grace. But there's also another reason that Paul loves them so much. He says it's because they've been faithful to him. You see, these weren't fair-weather friends. These were people who stuck by Paul in the good times and in the bad. And Paul wants his friends to know that even though he's under house arrest in Rome when he's writing this letter, even though he can't physically be there with them, he wanted them to know how special they were to him, how much he loved them. Well, in the next verse, in verse 9, Paul starts to transition from talking about what he feels for his friends to what he actually wants for them. And the way he does this is by sharing this prayer that he's been praying for them. And this prayer, it's equally applicable to us. And so I want to read through it in its entirety. It's verses 9 to 11. Then we're going to go back through and talk about what this means for us. So this is what Paul prays. He says, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So what Paul says here is that he wants this love he's been talking about, right? This love that they feel for him, this love that they feel for one another, this love that they feel for Jesus. He wants that love to abound. He he wants it to grow. He doesn't want it to just be a love that's static, that doesn't change. He wants it to be a love that is dynamic, that is growing. Now, Now that word love, it's kind of an ambiguous term in our culture. It's hard to fully define what it means because we love everything. We love pizza. We love the Broncos. We love our car. We love our phone. We love our kids. We love our wife. We love our church. We love everything. You see, love in the English language is a word that has the potential to mean everything and nothing at the same time. But that's not the case when Paul uses it. The word that he uses in the Greek, it's the word agape. This is the highest form of love. And it is a word that is absolutely pregnant with meaning. In 1 Corinthians 13, we actually get a glimpse of what Paul means when he uses this word love. There he tells us that love is patient. It's kind. It's not jealous. It's not boastful. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable. It's not resentful. But instead, love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. 
You see, this is the kind of love that Paul wanted to grow to abound. This is the kind of love that he would, was praying his friends would experience more of. And at the end of verse nine, he tells them two specific things that he's praying would help shape this love. And these two things, they're, they're kind of like guardrails. If you've ever driven up in the mountains, you know how important guardrails are, right? Like they keep you on the road when it's dark at night and you're going around that turn, they help you see it because of the reflectors. If you are swatting at your kids in the back or looking at your phone, these are the things that keep you from going off the mountain. Guardrails are important. And the two that he says they need for their love, the two guardrails are knowledge and discernment. And I think Paul brings these two things up because knowledge and discernment, they actually enable us to love in a way that's healthy. Because when they're not there, our love could actually be dangerous and do more harm than good. Uh, let, me, let me give you an example of what I mean. So say my five-year-old daughter comes up to me with this rattlesnake that she caught in the backyard. And then she tells me that it's really cute and she wants to keep it as a pet and have it sleep next to her in her bed at night. Now, what's the loving response that I should have in that situation? Well, with no knowledge, with no discernment, I'd probably let her do it. Why? Well, because I want her to be happy. I want her to feel loved. But in this case, we all know that would be foolish. Letting her do what she wants, the thing that would make her feel happy, that thing that would make her feel loved, that's not actually loving, that is negligence. That's why these guardrails are so important. Because knowledge tells me that that snake is dangerous. Discernment, discernment tells me that it's not good to have a snake sleep in your bed. The most loving thing I could do in this situation is take that snake away from her. Knowledge, discernment, these, these guardrails actually enable us to love in a way that is responsible and in a way that we could actually consider to be truly loving. Uh, one more thing to mention while we're on this. Another reason that we need to be committed to loving with both knowledge and discernment is because these guardrails could actually give us clarity in the midst of uncertainty. Now, if we're honest, most of us would probably admit that we're kind of quick to rush to a decision or an opinion about something before we have all of the information. And the reason we do this is because we think we know what's right. And we've been seeing this play out in our culture a lot lately, haven't we? Whether it's a conversation about the pandemic or masks or race or the economy, there are so many people who are just making assumptions and drawing these lines in the sand. And what happens is when we do that, we create this us against them mentality. We are literally living in a divided nation right now. This is a problem. But what would happen if we chose a different way of responding? What if we decided not to jump to conclusions or to make decisions solely based on what we thought was right? What if instead we let these guardrails of knowledge and discernment guide us? Maybe it would lead us to a place where instead of making assumptions about other people, we actually sat down and got to hear their stories. Maybe instead of making assumptions about other people, we would actually see that just like us, they have hearts and they've been made in the image of God. Maybe this knowledge and discernment might actually change the way that we love them. These things are important. Paul says in verse 10 that this kind of love, this abounding love that's got knowledge and discernment, it's gonna lead us to a place where we could actually approve what is excellent. And he goes on to say towards the end of verse 10 and end of verse 11 that this love is actually gonna help us live in a way that's considered to be pure and blameless for the day of Christ where we'll be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. 
See, this, this love, it's, it's gonna change us. There's gonna be something fundamentally different about the way we choose to live our lives. And Paul says that when this happened, our lives are gonna evidence the fruit of righteousness. And this fruit, it's the tangible outworking of what that abounding love that Paul is talking about is doing inside of us. In his letter to the church in Galatians chapter five, we actually get a description of what this fruit looks like. There he says that it's love, it's joy, it's peace and patience and kindness and faithfulness and gentleness and goodness and self-control. When this love is abounding in our lives, these are going to be the things that characterize our interactions with other people. These are the things that are gonna be true about the way that we engage with this world. And when that fruit is there, when it is being produced, it is gonna cause us to live in a way where we are seen to be blameless, where people can't fault us for the things that we say or do or post on Facebook. Why? Because everything we do is marked by love. Now, I don't know about you, but whenever I read this prayer, when I see everything that's in it, it doesn't exactly encourage me because I know just how short I fall of everything that is in it. Even on my best days, I can't get half of this stuff right. And so I think to myself, honestly, like why even bother trying? Now, if that's something that you've been thinking, there's actually some good news for you because Paul is not saying that we need to do any of this. You see, Paul fully understands just how impossible that would be. There was one time when he was talking to some friends of his and he told them that he often does the things that he doesn't want to do and he doesn't do the things that he wants to do. Paul fully understands where we're at, but he also understands where we could be. And that's why these three words he says towards the end of verse 11 are so incredibly important. There he says that we need to be filled with the spirit, with the fruit of righteousness. Yes, absolutely. But he doesn't say that that fruit comes through us. It doesn't happen because we tried harder. Paul says that all of that stuff comes through Jesus Christ. On our own, we are completely helpless. We are completely hopeless. But once Jesus gets involved, when he enters into our story, that changes everything. Jesus makes us into the people he has called us to be. You know, there was this one time where Jesus was having dinner with his disciples. It was on the night before he was uh, crucified. It was the night that he was betrayed, right? The night that he was gonna be arrested and put on trial. And he knew that this was his final chance to teach his disciples the things that they would need to know to be able to get through the things that were coming, the things that they would need to know if they wanted to thrive in the future. You can read about it in John 15, but while they're sitting there, Jesus uses this analogy of a vine and some branches to teach them about spiritual growth, about how they're gonna become the people that God has called them to be, about how they're gonna be able to produce that fruit of righteousness that Paul talks about, about how to go from where they are to where they need to be. Jesus, in this analogy, he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. You see the vine, this is the thing that's connected to the ground. It's the thing that has deep roots. It's where all of the nutrients that this whole plant needs to survive and thrive come from. But the branch, it's not connected to the ground. It gets no nutrients from the ground. It has no rooting in the ground. Instead, the branch is connected to the vine and from the vine, it receives everything it needs to thrive and to survive. 
You see, it's only when the branch is connected to the vine that it could actually produce fruit. If it's not connected, there is no fruit. If it's not connected, there is no life. You see, what Jesus is saying is that when we stay connected to him, we're gonna grow in love because he is love. Jesus is saying that when we say connected to him, we're gonna grow in knowledge and discernment and be able to approve what is excellent because he's gonna change the way that we think. Jesus is saying that when we stay connected to him, we're gonna live lives that are blameless and pure. Why? Because he is gonna change the way that we live and when he changes the way we live, we will see the fruit of righteousness in our lives. Friends, I am so convinced that this is exactly what happens when we make our relationship with Jesus the highest priority in our life. When we do whatever it takes to stay connected to him. This growth of love, this change of thinking, this change of what we do. I am living this out of my life in a way that I never thought I could or would. When I was a little kid, 26 years ago, my dad walked out on our family. He never said goodbye. I remember being dropped off there to spend the weekend with him and finding his place empty. He'd vanished. My dad leaving me hurt me deeper than anything else in this world ever has. And as I grew up, I was so angry. I I was so bitter. I wanted to be nothing like this guy. I wanted nothing to do with him ever again. Well, in college, I started to take my relationship with Jesus seriously. I made it a priority to stay connected to him, to do what Jesus says in John 15, to really seek to abide in him. And about 10 years ago, Jesus started to do something new in my heart. As I spent time with him, as I read the Bible, I started to see that that God has a heart for wholeness that he has a heart for forgiveness, for reconciliation, for redemption. As I spent time with Jesus, I was able to confront my own sin, to deal with my own hurt. As I spent time with Jesus, I began to find healing for these deep wounds that I had been carrying with me for so many years. As I spent time with Jesus, I began to see myself in a new light. I wasn't somebody who had been rejected. I was somebody who had been accepted. As I spent time with Jesus, I found that my heart towards my father began to change. That hatred that I felt began to turn into compassion. That lack of desire to ever see him again turned into a desire to find him. And it wasn't so that I could tell him how much he had hurt me. It was so that I could tell him that even with everything that had happened, I still loved him. That what he had meant for evil God had turned to good, and it was all because of what Jesus had done in me. Well, these past several years, I've been searching for my dad, and I never had any luck finding him. That is until two months ago. I found him. He's living in a small town in northern Georgia, and I reached out to him, and because of what Jesus has done in me, I was able to forgive him because of what Jesus has done in me, I was able to love him. 
And literally right now in this moment as I speak, he is in his car driving from Georgia to Colorado to see his son for the first time in 26 years, to meet his granddaughters for the first time, to meet his daughter-in-law for the first time. Right now I am experiencing the fruit of what happens when we stay connected to Jesus. When we make that the highest priority in our life, we get this supernatural ability to love when love doesn't make sense. And this this love, it truly does abound. We get this supernatural ability to extend grace and mercy and civility even when the other person doesn't deserve it. We get to see the fruit of righteousness evidenced in our lives. And sometimes it takes 26 years for that fruit to grow. But when we're persistent, when we cling to Jesus, when we stay connected to him, it will come. And do you know the one thing that I'm feeling right now more than anything else? Joy. Being connected to Jesus, seeing all the things that he's done in me and through me these past few years, knowing how he's leading me through something right now that is literally rewriting my story, that is literally rewriting my father's story, a beautiful story of redemption unfolding right in front of me that I get to be a part of. This brings me so much joy. This prayer that Paul prays for his friends this hope that he has for them. It's not something that we have to strive after. It's not this lofty ideal that we need to chase. When we abide in Jesus, when we stay connected to him, this prayer becomes a promise. A promise that God doesn't leave us where we are. A promise that God doesn't leave us as we are. A promise that one day God will finish the work he started as he makes us into the people that he has called us to be. A people of wisdom, a people of righteousness, and a people of love. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are a God who does not leave us where we are. I thank you that you are a God who meets us in the midst of whatever it is we're walking through and that you bring us to the other side. Jesus, would we be a people who desperately yearn and do whatever we can to stay connected to you? that, Father, this would be the priority of our lives, not to do the things we need, think we need to do, but instead to do the thing that you have called us to do, to come to you, to cling to you. Holy Spirit, right now, I know that there are people right now who are watching this, who are convicted about something in their life. Maybe it's a pain they've held on to. It's a lack of love they refuse to give. Holy Spirit, would you first comfort them and second, lead them where you need them to go? Would you give them the courage to be obedient, the courage to follow you to that place you are leading them? These things that Paul prayed, for love and knowledge and discernment and a life that is blameless. Would these be things that come to become true about us, but not because we did them, 
but because you did them through us, Jesus. I pray this in your name. Amen. You are here for your redemption, Lord God. You are here, you're touching every heart. I worship you, I worship you. You are here, healing every Turning lives around, I worship you. I worship you. You are here, mending every heart. I worship you. I worship you. For you are, we make miracle work, promise keep. Light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. And you are, we make miracle worker, promise keeper. Light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. You are, we make miracle worker, promise keeper. Light in the
always working for our good and your glory, God. And always on the move. You're always on the move. Even when I don't see it, you work it. Even when I don't feel it, you work it. You never stop working. You never stop. You never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. Lord, I pray that others would see and feel you move now. Whatever it is that is on our hearts to pray, to pray after whether it's healing or breakthrough, God, where we've lost hope in those areas, Holy Father, I pray that right now you would begin to restore those things, that we would trust that you are always working for your glory and our good. Yes, you're a good God. Yes, you are. Holy Spirit, restore our hope in things back to life. Bring our hope back to life now, God. Because even when I don't see you, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. You never stop. You never stop working. Even when I don't see Yeah. 
Thank you for joining us online today. This has been a really good experience for us, and we hope it has been for you as well. Uh, you know, even though the service is coming in to an end, that there are some ways that you can continue to engage and respond and worship. And we're going to have a slide that pops up here in a second that'll tell you about how you can get involved uh, with partnering with us through giving or receiving prayer. Um, but before we do that, I want to just leave you with a blessing. And so friends, brothers, sisters, would you know how loved you are? Would you know how much God wants you to know him? He doesn't care about your performance. He cares about your heart. And so as you go this week, would you cling to Jesus? Would you stay connected to Jesus and experience the abounding love that comes with it? Go in peace.